0: Yesterday, uh had a great opportunity. Um, we were able to go to the uh, Capitol and uh, do a devotional lunch for the uh, House of Representatives and had several of them show up for that and had some good fellowship with them. And some of you saw that on Facebook and you prayed for us and I appreciate it. It went well. They were very responsive. And uh, then after it was over, they you know, did that thing that puts a chill on stuff, anybody have any questions, and that's always scary, because you never know what they're going to ask, but we survived and made it through, and fed them lunch on behalf of Graceway, they had uh, Chick-fil-A, and um, even some of the people out in the hallway, uh, Susan and Lindsay and Brother Dale uh, got the people out there, and some of the sergeants at arms were fed, highway patrolmen were fed, and Other people like that. So it was a good day and they enjoyed it. And we had a good time as well. And so we'll do that again. Sandy Cunningham is the one who puts all that together. And Andrew was able to come and uh, be there for that. And so uh, we'll do it again. I think this is the sixth time since uh, 1996 that I've been able to do that. And uh, it's always fun to be with them and to pray with them. And uh, to kind of hear their heart just a little bit. And it's nice to know that in your capital you have some people who love Jesus. And um, we ought to remember, as the Apostle Paul said, to pray for them. And uh, we forget sometimes. We can argue with them. We can be aggravated with them. We can do all of that stuff. But don't forget to pray for them. That's the most important thing. Okay? Well, I started to say... We're starting a new psalm tonight, but we're really not doing it tonight. We actually started it last week. And uh, let's just see if I can make it through this particular one. I actually added a few things to it, and I know that blesses some of you. You're going, oh, we'll never get out of here now. but uh, Or either that, or maybe it was last week I was going a little bit too long, and somebody said, get him, Lord, and that's when the attack happened. But um, Anyway, apparently it was uh, my blood sugar tanked, and uh, as a result of last Wednesday night, my doctor took me off all of my diabetes medicine, so yay, you know, so another thing. So health-wise, things have been really moving the right direction over the last couple of weeks with my heart and now with the diabetes and all of that, so we'll just pray that it uh, stays that way and would appreciate your prayers, That's that's a good thing. Okay, Psalm 9, okay? Psalm 9. We'll try to keep it together tonight. Now, we uh, titled this, It Starts With the Heart. starts with the heart. That's more than just a clever rhyme or something. It's kind of based uh, on the first two verses of this. But I remind you, in Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And here's the key. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you really want to know what is in a person's heart, uh, hang around them and listen to them talk. And I don't mean the the fake, covered up, filtered talk like we do when we're at church or around the right people. I mean in the situations where life is raw, where things get tough, where things don't go right, you can hear things. And there are a lot of believers that betray what's really in their heart, and they never cuss. I mean, you know, we we, we know what we're supposed to say. We know what heck means, and we know what darn it and dang it mean. We know all of those kind of things, but they're kind of acceptable. And uh, they also betray something else. In Romans chapter 3, that famous passage that also quotes out of the Psalms, it tells us that, No one seeks after God, right? That they've all gone out of the way and become unprofitable. Those things we're kind of familiar with. It also says in there, out of their mouths, their mouths are filled with, ready? Cursing and bitterness. Okay? So when you hear somebody that has a foul mouth, or you hear somebody that is angry all the time, or lashing out all the time, it's not just a bad habit. It's a betrayal of a bitter heart. They need a lot of prayer. They need the touch of the Lord. They need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in that. And who knows why they're like that. Some people are just, it's almost like they're just born angry. And certainly it's an aspect of depravity. But some people it's because their hearts were wounded uh, many times when they were very young. And they don't know how to handle things. They don't know how to handle problems. And it's almost as if, if we pictured them like a container, that they are full, all the way up to here, just barely containing everything that life has thrown at them, and then that one thing happens, and it's, you know, it spills over. Well, when you see that person, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's you, and you go, why does that make me mad, this one little thing? It's not really that one little thing, it's the cumulative effect of everything that is going on, and only Jesus can drain that, only Jesus can take care of that. And so whenever you see that coming out of your life, it's not just a change that you need in your vocabulary. You need some heart surgery. And you need Jesus, the great physician, to do the heart surgery because you've got a hurting heart. You've got a burdened heart. You've got an angry heart. You've got a bitter heart, whatever it may be and whatever the case may be. So if we were to ask the Lord to do some heart surgery on us tonight, I would uh, probably direct you to this psalm. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 9 and verse 1. And uh, this is David writing this. And he says, I will praise you. It's always a good thing to do. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. Verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. You notice that progression uh, that goes through there? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to say number one. Okay, ready for this? When the heart is right, praise is natural. Why is it that it's so hard for people to praise God, to give thanks to God, to even acknowledge God? It's because they don't have a heart that's right with God. And uh, for believers... When we got saved, our heart, we got a new heart. Remember in in Ezekiel where it talks about that? That heart of stone is taken out and that living heart of flesh. It's not talking about the old nature. It's talking about something that is alive and functioning is is put in your heart. But as we walk through this world and as we think about all of the stuff that has been programmed in the gray matter between the ears, uh, I've got 62 years of programming that I know how to handle life but it's not the right way and I kinda default to that and you default to that and that causes some spiritual heart disease we might say it corrupts the heart and we've got to constantly be walking with God aware of our sin and 1st John 1 9 confessing our sins so that we are cleansed of all of that and uh, living in the joy of forgiveness that Christ died to give us and when the heart is right you ever seen somebody get saved and the moment that they're saved one of the things that I notice and would say to you I have never seen somebody get saved and be depressed about it I've never seen someone pray to receive Christ and confess him as Lord and I've never seen them in a sad oh I've made the biggest mistake of my life they don't do that In fact, they have tears of joy sometimes. Sometimes they have big smiles on their faces. Sometimes they'll hug you, you know. And uh, they're just happy when they do that. And they are always thankful and grateful that God did that. They can't believe. Remember how it was when you got saved? You can't believe that God would do that for you. You can't believe where the burden of sin is gone. And that right relationship with God Uh, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace. The same thing is true as you are saved and living for the Lord after that. You have ups and downs. You have hills and you have valleys. Boy, we have had a lot of crazy wind here lately this spring, haven't we? And uh, I was walking the other day. And uh, as I was walking against the wind, you know, I thought... I don't want to do this. I just think I'll just go home. And then I thought, no, it's a challenge. Can I do it? I'm going to do it. And I ducked my head into the wind and just went on, and there was resistance against it. And as I thought about it, that resistance is good. Rather than just a normal walk, I've got resistance. That's going to make the old ticker stronger, isn't it? And God has it designed where the winds of adversity that the enemy wants to use to defeat us are actually used to make us stronger, to make us tougher, to make things better from the heart. Not to just go along the same old way. You know, it's easy to go through the motions. Even when I'm walking sometimes, I'm just same old route, same old way, same old thing. Well, every once in a while you need to kind of challenge yourself. Well, God does that for us spiritually so that we don't just go through the motions. Because there are two words that uh, got my attention in verse 1. Whole heart, whole heart. You know, in a relationship, if you really want someone to love you, if uh, you think about when you were dating and when you were pursuing that person that you loved, you didn't go after them half-heartedly. You went after them with your whole heart. You would spend more money than you uh, ever thought you would spend. You would do things you never thought you would do. You were in pursuit. You wanted them to love you. And in the same way, as you get to know them, sometimes you may say the same words, love you, but it's different. It may not be quite as wholehearted as it once was. And you have to have a renewal every once in a while. The same thing is true in your walk with God. As you walk with the Lord and things become very, very normal, you forget what all He has done for you. You forget about what salvation means to you and what all it changed in your relationship with God and your eternal destiny and who indwells you, all of that kind of stuff, and you forget. And we fall into the 21st century American trap of, yeah, well, I know all that, but what have you done for me lately? And the truth of the matter is if we only knew and understood what he is doing for us even right now. I don't feel anything. I'm not aware particularly of anything maybe at this particular moment. But if I could see things from God's perspective. Maybe right now you're being attacked and you don't even know it. And Jesus has dispatched angels to stand around you and is telling the enemy hands off, not now. You never know, do you? Maybe there's something that the Spirit of God is ministering to you deep down in your soul and there's a scar on your spiritual heart. And maybe the Holy Spirit is ministering to that right now. And maybe you won't notice that it's gone for a long time, but He's working on it now. You're in process right now. Maybe He is healing you and blessing you. Maybe somewhere... There's a prayer that you prayed, and let's say maybe you prayed it a week ago, and you're looking around and you go, well, I don't see anything. I guess it's a no. And if you could see, the Lord would be saying, oh, it's not a no, not a no. It's just in process. It's just in process. It's going to be answered, but not today. It's going to take a while, but I'm working. The Father, the Bible says, is always at work. And so if we could see all of that, then we would feel something. And we would be excited about what God is doing. We would never be nonchalant or ambivalent about any of that. And if we could remember what he has done for us and what it was like to be saved, I mean, you couldn't stop us. So think about what all the Lord has done for you. Now I want you to think about these words. And these are words that Wednesday night people, you guys have been in church a long time. You've been saved a long time and... You know, these are words that we kind of say with, a, with an inner yawn. We don't, we don't ever yawn outwardly, but kind of inwardly we sort of yawn. Not, not terribly exciting, but they should be. How about the word forgiven? Your debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. You were on your way to hell. You deserve hell. You could not save yourself, but you were forgiven by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Christ. I think about that and I go, that's enough. And then I go on and I think about this God who has forgiven us has also accepted us. Let's say somebody breaks into your house and they uh, steal from you and they uh, beat up your wife, your daughter, and then they leave. Then they come back and they ring the doorbell and you go, oh, good night, it's that guy. That bad guy. And he goes, please, no, please, please. I'm not here to hurt you. I I just want to talk to you. For some reason, you open up the door, and there is that guy. That guy. You didn't even know he was out of prison. But that guy is right there on your your doorstep. And all of those old feelings and everything come back. The fear, the anger, the desire for retaliation. All of those kind of things are back. And then that person says... I've come here to ask you for your forgiveness. Okay, you're a Christian. What are you going to do? Well, you're honor-bound to forgive him. But do you bring him in and say, Would you like to spend the night in our spare bedroom? It's right next to my daughter's room. I don't think so. Do you bring him in and say, Hey, you want to come on in? and, And by the way, here's where I keep all of my guns. Sleep in the hide-a-bed with all of them, right? Do you do, no, you don't, you don't do that. You don't do that. You may forgive the guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you accept him as a part of your family and a part of your life. Now, I'm sure you could probably think of you've read a book or a story or heard a preacher say something about an exception. Okay, keep in mind it's an exception. But as a general rule, you would not do something like that. Here you are, a criminal against God. You've broken His laws. And the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for your sins. And God not only forgives you when you submit to Him as Lord, but He brings you into the family. Into, as John 14 says, the Father's house. Unconditionally, freely, and you are accepted, the Bible says... In the beloved one. That's an amazing thing. Think about the fact. That he not only accepts you. And says here I've got a place for you. Then he turns around. And makes you a part of his family. You're adopted. Now God uses two pictures. To show this. You're born again into the family. And then you're also adopted into the family. We don't, we don't do humanly both of those things. But God does. My brother. When I was six years old, my mom was unable to uh, carry children full term. And uh, I'm the only one that uh, survived her pregnancies. And so uh, they adopted my little brother. Okay? And when they adopt him, did you know that he actually has more rights than I do in the family? Uh, when my dad died, I was the... Uh, executor and all of that kind of stuff and I kind of wanted to just kick my brother out and keep it all for myself but uh, I found out that because he's adopted he actually has more rights than I do I could be could have been uh, disinherited but my brother could not and when God uses these terms like adopted it's like I want to show you That I am doing something by birthing you into the family so that you are, as Peter said, partakers of the divine nature. Wow, that's something. But you're also adopted, which means you have permanent standing with the Lord that he will in no wise cast you out. That's the word of, of Christ. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because of the rules of adoption. You have been accepted Forgiven, accepted, you've been adopted, you are actually in his family and have all of those rights and privileges. And then also he resurrected us. Let's not forget that when he found us and saved us, Ephesians chapter 2 says we were spiritually dead and unable to respond, unable to do anything. And he is the one who quickened us and he has made us alive in Christ. Now, when you start thinking about those things, and we could probably go on and on and on, and then if we opened it up to you guys, you would think of a whole lot more than I would of reasons why we ought always be thankful to God and why we ought always praise Him. Because those things are true even if you have a flat tire. Those things are true even if a loved one passes away. These things we've talked about are true even if you lose your job. In other words, these are reasons that we can always give thanks to the Lord. Well, I just can't think of anything. Well, you need to think a little bit harder, buddy. You need to think about what Christ has done for you, and you need to start praising Him and honoring Him and make it a practice to do that. Uh, so that it becomes more natural and you can do it even when you're in the darkness, even when you're in the valley, even when you're in the desert, even when opposition is coming after you from all er areas. That's why in everything give thanks is in the Bible, because He wouldn't ask you to do something or command you to do something, pardon me, that He wouldn't enable you to do, and you've got plenty of reasons to give praise unto the Lord. Which brings us then to think of some scriptures, okay? I'm just going to read through these real quick. They'll be on the screen. Isaiah 1.18. This is God, the offended one. We've broken his laws, and yet he gives us this invitation. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You can't do that for yourself, but He can do it for you. And He's the one that ought to punish you. And yet, instead, what does He do? He invites you to come and talk about it and come together about it. And we come together over the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, "...therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins." And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses or by human performance, in other words. God did it for you. God did it for you. God's the one that said you have sinned and there's a hell That you are going to if your sin is not forgiven. But you cannot forgive your own sin. You cannot atone your own sin. And this same God who decreed that also said, And my son will be the sacrifice I will pay for your sin so that you can be justified freely. Who does that? Who does that? If somebody did that for a prisoner, we would think they were crazy. Crazy. After what they did for you, you paid for their fine, and you what, what if you swap places with them and somebody had done what I talked about earlier and you worked it out with the judge, and the judge said, okay, I'll let that person free if you will go into prison. I mean, who does that? And then we look at the work of God and what he has done for us and think, he did that for us. This is amazing when you think about it. In Acts chapter 10 verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Did you like that word everyone? Everyone. Everyone. Or anyone we might say. That's a promise that he gives to us. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. There's the heart motif again. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach uh, each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will, you ready? Remember their sins no more. You ever been around somebody that you've offended. And you said, man, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have done that. And they wave it off with a, ah, it's okay, it's okay. But every time you were around them, you felt it. You remembered it. You sensed a little bit of tension and you noticed that the relationship was just not quite the same as it used to be. Do you know you never have to fear that with God? Because He doesn't hold it against you. It's been paid for already by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He deals with you As a father, not as a judge in a courtroom, as a father. I know with my three children, I know that I had times when I was disappointed in them. But I have to search long and hard to think of it. I know there were times that I busted them on their backside. Yeah, go ahead and call the cops, I don't care anymore. Too late. Statute of limitations, right? But you know what? I really don't remember those situations. Why? Because my goal was not to vent my emotions on them and to show them, buddy. My goal was to show them love, to teach them the right way, and to help them to grow up to be responsible, right? And you know what? They've done that. And you know what I say about it? None of that matters anymore. Now, if I can do that to a small degree, this is what God does to the infinite degree. He forgives us of our sins, casts them as far as the east is from the west, and everything that He deals with us in terms of discipline is a loving Father who wants us to learn and to grow and to be corrected or trained, in other words. He's not just walking around in a huff, walking around just angry and just mad. Uh, I used to think that God was kind of had His back turned toward me and had His arms crossed, and He was just saying, Just give me a reason. Give me a reason. You know? It's not the way God is. It's not the way he is toward his children, and when you think about that, and you understand what he has done for us, you have any reason to praise God? I, I'm I'm just telling you, there's an infinite number of reasons to give praise to the Lord. Psalm eighty-six, verse five: For you, O Lord, are good. And ready to forgive. You ever felt like God was reluctant to forgive? No. He's ready. He's eager to forgive. And abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Do you see God like that? Do you see God that way? That's what the psalmist is trying to get us to understand. We perceive God many times in the wrong manner. And it seems today that people either see God. As this tyrant that you can never please. Who just barely tolerate you. Or they see him as a loving doddering old grandfather. Who's kind of senile and not really aware of what's going on. So don't worry about it. And both of those would be wrong. This is a God who is infinitely loving And aware of everything that you are and everything that you're not. This is a God who deals with you on the basis of what you're able to handle. He knows your maturity level. You may be chronologically, you know, a grown adult. But you may be spiritually a toddler. And guess what? God knows that. And He loves you. And He's not going to let you stay that way. He's teaching you. He's correcting you. He's taking you through things. And He is growing you up, whether you realize it or not. And you may think that God is just picking on you, but He's not. He's a loving Father who is training you how to take the next step into maturity. And as uh, one person said, God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you so much He refuses to let you stay that way. This is our God who is for us. Romans chapter 8 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a God who wants you to grow in Christ more than you want to grow in Christ. This is a God who wants you to have victory over the enemy more than you want to have victory over the enemy. This is a God who wants you to know the joy of salvation more than you want to know the joy of salvation. And we need to understand, as Martin Luther said, that in our prayer we are laying hold of God's willingness not overcoming his reluctance. Why? Because he's not reluctant to do any of that. But he's wise and he's loving. And so that million dollars you prayed for, he knows that right now you can't handle it. But maybe someday you can. I hope you can. I hope you tithe on it. But, uh, you know, all of those things God knows and God loves and God cares. And so praising God is a natural thing when our heart is right. But getting our heart right, now that's a different matter. And we try, and we battle, and we weep, and we are disgusted with ourselves sometimes. But understand, you can't fix your heart problems. Only God can. Only God can. Back in November, I didn't lay down on the operating table and tell the surgeon, Okay, back off. I think I got this. It's my heart after all. That would have been stupid. Let the surgeon take care of it. Let the surgeon take care of it. Okay. And in your spiritual life too. Got problems? Got things in your life that you are disappointed about? That you can't handle? You got a surgeon who loves you. Who created you. He knows what's in there. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And his son paid for every last sin with his blood on the cross of Calvary. This is the one who has written your name in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. He's already got a place prepared for you in heaven so that whenever you die, nobody has to scramble. It's all ready for you because he knows the date and he knows the time. This is the God who walks with you through your mountains, your valleys, through your trials, through everything you go through. This is a God who doesn't abandon you. He doesn't give up on you. This is not the God who turns away from you in disgust. This is not the God that when you were talking to Him, He's looking over your shoulder to hear the person He really wants to hear from, the person who really knows how to pray. No, you've got His full attention. Loved with an everlasting love. Now, that ought to cause something to happen inside of you to well up and to want to give God the praise that He deserves, okay? So don't be holding on to all of that stuff and don't keep remembering things that God has forgotten and put aside. Well, let's just do one more and we'll be through tonight. Um, So, Gary, you get to use this PowerPoint another another week. Uh, Number two, okay, we said when the heart is right then praise is natural. Okay, here's number two. Tying into that that verse. When praise is genuine, talking about the Lord is normal. You're burdened about the fact that you're not a witness for Christ. I'm going to dig into your soul a little bit and say you're not praising Him enough. You're not aware of who He is enough because you talk about things that you are excited about. Okay, grandmas, Right? You talk about those grandchildren. Why? You're excited about them. Same thing is true, grandpas probably. When you uh, find that classic car and you go, man, I mean, my dad found in a farmer's field a 1937 Chevrolet Coupe. Well, that's what his first car was. It wasn't that exact one, but it was like that. And man, he was excited when he brought it home. Didn't look like much. Been out in a field for a hundred years or something like that. I don't know. But he was excited about it. And you know what he did? He jabbered. Man, he talked about it. Talked about his plans. Talked about his memories. Talked about all of the things he was going to do with it. Talked about what it was going to be like. He, he always wanted to get it all fixed up and have it black and shiny and fixed up and drive it in a parade or something. Some of those dreams didn't come true, but he was excited about when he got it. Well, I want to ask you a question. Why aren't you excited about Jesus where it just comes out, things about Jesus, things about the Lord, things about what he has done for you? Well, maybe you need to back up, hit rewind, and go back up to point one, and maybe you need to camp there for a while and really make that the theme of your devotion and of your quiet time. I want to start praising the Lord. I want my heart to be right. Now, it's not just a matter of I'm going to work up praise. It's a matter of I want my heart to be overflowing with praise because it's right with God. And as a result of that, the praise of the Lord and my love for the Lord, my enthusiasm about the Lord is going to result in the number two, that a person who is filled with praise doesn't have any problem talking about Jesus. You're confident in Him. You're excited about Him. You want everybody to know Him, and you are excited to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to see God's eternal plan to be fulfilled. And so the Scripture says, I will tell, right after it talks about praising with the whole heart, then what's the result of that? I will tell Of your marvelous works. And so it's not worked up. It's not anything that's fake. It's not anything that's just going through the motions. It is the expression. Of an overflowing. Gushing heart. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's an amazing thing. And what the unsaved world is under. Is the condemnation. Of their sin. And whether they realize it or not. They are affected by the guilt. That they are living under. They are living and walking in spiritual darkness. They are Blind, their minds are blinded, the Bible says. They're darkened, right? Death. They're spiritually dead, and they're headed toward death, and they are terrified. I don't care what they say. They're terrified. They may be in denial right now and not thinking about it, but when it comes right down to it, they're terrified to die. Why? They don't know where they're going. They don't believe anything. They don't have any assurance. They don't get it. And I want you to think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where you once were. You too were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul talks about the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience, it's demonic. And he says, and so were you. And God delivered us from all of that. In other words, when you see that person out there and they look like a hell's angel and they're kind of scary, what's the answer to a, a criminal? What's the answer to a pervert? What's the answer to a, an angry, disgusted person? What's the answer to a thief or a murderer? What, what's the answer to their heart? Okay, you ready? Ready? The same thing that was the answer to yours. Even though you weren't anything like that. But the answer is the same. They need forgiveness from the Lord. That can only come by the grace of God. And that only comes through the presentation of the gospel. And only the Holy Spirit can cause them to want it to receive it to understand it to have faith and to repent of their sins and believe the gospel and surrender to Jesus as Lord so you don't have to take responsibility for that your job is just to glorify God by telling them someone asked a question yesterday at the Capitol about witnessing and things that we do uh, for the Lord and uh, had the idea of how do you keep from getting discouraged and I said you know I'm, I'm not always a good example of this, but here's the right answer. Let me go ahead and tell you. And that is, if you'll aim at the glory of God, you'll never be disappointed. I said, for example, I used to witness thinking, i got to keep this person out of hell. Well, I don't think God is displeased with that. But it's kind of, it falls short of the real reason. Because if they wouldn't repent, you know, if they wouldn't, you know, uh, trust Christ then I felt discouraged. What did I do wrong? What happened? Did I, could I have done that better? Uh, you know was I not persuasive enough or, or whatever? And then I realized it's not of me it's of God. He's the one. Some plant some water but it's God who gives the increase. Isn't that what Paul said? And so here's what I found out. If I can aim at the glory of God and say I hope this person goes to heaven And I am concerned that they go to hell. But my real reason for telling them about Jesus is to bring glory to God. And if that person says, get out of here, spits in my face and walks away, you know what? doesn't matter. Because if God was glorified, mission accomplished regardless of what they do. And that's the truth no matter what you're doing. If you're singing for the glory of God, maybe you're the only person in the church singing Well, you don't notice it, and you don't get discouraged by it. Because why? You're singing for the glory of God, not for the praise of man. And whenever you do a kind deed for somebody else, and they don't notice it, and they don't thank you for it, doesn't matter. You did it for the glory of God. And as long as God is glorified, that's really all that matters. And that's where the psalmist is pointing us, that if we really have the right heart and we are really praising God the way that we should, and I mean in our quiet time, I mean in our trials, I mean in the daylight, in the darkness, whatever it may be, if that is genuine and our heart is right, we are going to tell other people about Jesus because we can't help but talk about the things that we have seen and heard like the apostles. And so I close by reading John chapter 9, 24 and 25. So for the second time, they called the men, uh, the man who had been blind, the man that Jesus healed, and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. Now listen to his answer. This is a trap. This was a setup. They didn't love Jesus and they didn't really care about giving glory to God. They wanted to trap this man and ultimately trap Jesus. Now look at this brilliant answer. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You think about what he was saying. You're not going to shut me up. You're not going to get me to sell him out. You're not going to get me to back down from the miracle that I've experienced. Because when it all boils down to this, I've got a lot of things I can't answer, this formerly blind man said. But this one thing, he says, I know. I was blind, and now I I see. Now you think about those things we talked about earlier, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted, that you're adopted, and that you've been spiritually resurrected. You get a hold of that and let that get a hold of you, and I dare you not to tell anybody about it. I dare you to try to keep your mouth shut. You won't be able to help it. And you won't have to have some gimmick or some formula or anything. You will gush like an artesian well. And to me, that sounds a whole lot better than going out there and trying to witness when you don't really want to and you don't really care and you don't really like those people. Well, it's not really about that. Go out and give glory to God and just gush, gush with what all. He has done for you. And you'll be able to relate to people. You'll be able to talk to people. Somebody's over there. there's suffering somehow. And you know what you'll find out? God puts you in their path because you can relate to what they're doing. And you can tell them what God did for you. And they can relate to you in that suffering. And then they look and they hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who knows? That may be the time when God does something wonderful and great. You just... Never know. We're just supposed to be available as we go out. Overflow. Gush for the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know we've got all kinds of commands about witnessing. We've got all kinds of commands about being an example and sharing our faith and uh, making disciples and all of that. And yet it seems like so often none of that really moves very many of God's people. There are some, and we're thankful for them, but not very many. Most of us are intimidated. We're fearful. We're afraid we can't answer every question, which we'll never be able to do. We're afraid that we won't be able to overcome their opposition. Will you please get it in our minds and hearts? It's not our skill or salesmanship. It's not our intellect. It's not any of those things that brings people to Christ. It's your Holy Spirit through the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. I wish we believed that, Lord. Teach us, be patient with us, so that we would understand it's not in my ability to persuade or my ability to answer questions. It's in just the simple presentation of the gospel and I pray, Lord, that you would bring us back to point number one, that our hearts would be so right with you that our lives would be one continual offering of praise and that even lost people would see us and they would go, how is it that you can trust God in the midst of what you're going through? How is it that you can believe during what you're, through the storms that you're going through? And through our praise, we might have an open door and an opportunity to tell somebody about our great and glorious God and His amazing grace and amazing gospel that brought liberty and freedom and forgiveness to us. So Lord, would you do that for us please and revive our hearts, give us opportunities to share our faith and let our boldness come because we are under the control of the Holy Spirit filled with love filled with grace, filled with mercy, filled with truth, and just looking for an opportunity to express it. So we want to say this tonight. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And to God be the glory, great things you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.